Thanks for that, Chris. Um, it's great to be here. I've been in this building uh, many times, but I've never been on a Sunday. And so it feels a real honour and a privilege to join you today. Um, there are people I've known for years here, and that's, uh, uh, that, that's a bit strange, uh, but also good. And so it's, it's wonderful to uh, have our friends Roy and Lynn. I know they're, they're part of this family here, and we've, we've known Roy and Lynn for nearly 30 years. And uh, it's only in the church that Roy and I could ever be friends. Actually, there is no other context on the face of the earth that Roy and I could actually be friends, um, because in the church, forgiveness and all of that is there. And uh, if you know Roy, you know about forgiveness and stuff. And, yeah, so I know Roy, yeah? So, so just let me, let me say that I know Roy, yeah? And, uh, uh, but I'm very grateful, actually, for Roy and Lynn. They have been um, uh, rock-like to us for... Well, so I say we've known them nearly 30 years. So all our kids have been born during the time that we've known Roy and Lynn, and that has meant they've had more sweets and cakes and fizzy drinks uh, than anyone else I know. And so it, that has been a joy for Pauline and myself. And, and, and this week I listened to a, a sermon online from Chris, an excellent message, and I realised that you are a very responsive people, that you shout out and you, you do stuff. Um, and so I'm going to try and keep your attention, and I'm going to do that by speaking. Uh, but do you know what? I can handle it. If you want to say something or shout out, I can handle it, but I'm going to try and keep your attention, because I heard Chris go with the flow, yeah? He was talking and you were talking, and everyone was talking. <coughs> so... And I'm not even cracking jokes yet, and we're like, we're really going for this. So, uh, yeah, Pauline will find this really funny that people are laughing at me, because it doesn't normally happen. Um, no, don't be sorry for me, honestly. There's no, there is genuinely no need. What we're going to do today is we're going to um, be looking at a number of scriptures. Um, we're going to take a kind of a, what I'll call a whistle-stop tour of looking at the scriptures as they pertain to I'm using the word diversity, but it's not really... The word diversity is not in the Bible, so I'm not trying to say it's a biblical term. Uh, but just this idea, uh, we're going to look at a number of scriptures. We're going to begin in Genesis, and we're going to finish in Revelation. And we're, we're going to be reading a number of passages. Hopefully, they're going to come up, and you'll be able to follow them. They will lead to all sorts of other questions and thoughts and comments that you might have. But I'm just trying to paint a picture. That's what I want to do this morning is to paint a picture for you uh, about God's heart on this subject. And, and, and what I realise, thinking about it, is um, for me, uh, you can almost think that, oh, you know, oh yeah, he's a, he's a black pastor, he's going to preach on diversity. That's what they do. Yeah? You can kind of think that. Yeah? But I've, I've got to be honest. Diversity for me, as I now understand it, came as revelation. It didn't come through practical understanding. I was in a church uh, in Catford, and I was there for many, many years. Uh, and it was, a, you know, and whilst I was there, I'll be honest, I got frustrated and disillusioned about this subject. About can the church ever really come together? Can it ever really actually work? I remember getting frustrated and a bit disillusioned about it, and. I kind of decided I was going to walk away. 
I remember deciding, okay, I'm just not sure this is going to work. We're, we're better going off to maybe some Pentecostal church or just some other kind of church where we'll have issues, but we won't have these kinds of issues that, that come up when it comes to diversity. And I remember thinking I'm going to walk away, but I thought to myself, okay, I, I'm really happy to walk away, but I should at least try and understand if the Bible says anything about it. I should at least try and understand that, because if I can understand that, then I can walk away at peace, if you like. Or if the Bible does say something about it, I, I kind of need to be open. And so I did kind of what I'm going to do with you today. I went on a, a tour of the Bible. I simply looked at the scripture. And through that process of looking at the scripture, God revealed to me. It wasn't that I read and I understood in terms of knowledge. I believe God revealed to me his heart, his plan. And I, I got to the point at the end of that study, at the end of that, where I said, okay, God, you've got it. You've got it. And although it's difficult and although it's challenging and although sometimes there are things that are unsaid when it comes to people who are different to us, I realise God's got it. God's got it. And so I'm going to take you on this journey. And I'm trying to do this. Diversity is not a modern invention of secular society. It's not that. It's not come about to deal with mass immigration and to respond to changing social and cultural demographics. It's not that. It's not about that. It's not just the next thing that the church has to deal with. Oh my goodness, we've got to deal with that now. It's not that. It's the unveiling and revealing of something that was and is at the very heart of God's purpose for the world and has been on his heart from the very beginning. Ephesians 3 sums it up well when it says, God's plan was to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. His intent, God's intent, was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. In other words, God always intended, it was always his purpose one day to display his wisdom through the multicolored, multi-layered, multicultural, diverse church. It was a mystery that was hidden that was then revealed. And he wasn't even doing it for us. He was doing it for the rulers, the principalities, the authorities in the heavenly realms. He was going to show them something about himself. That's what he was going to do. So it wasn't about you and me. Yeah, it's not about you, it's not about me. We're, we're like small parts of this very, very big thing that God was always planning to do. And so I could have gone to many, many different passages to take you on this tour, but time only allows me to go to a few. But I do want to start at the beginning. So we go back to Genesis, the story of Genesis, and I'm just going to make reference to passages. Hopefully you'll know them. Some of them will come up, some of them may not come up. Forgive me if it kind of seems to move around a bit. But I wanted to say right up front, in Genesis chapter 1, the Bible tells us that God created man, woman, humankind in his own image. And that alone should help us when it comes to recognising 
all people are equal before God. God created us in his own image. What happens was sin enters the world and it not only divides and messes up our relationship with God, but actually it divides and messes up our relationship with one another. That's what sin does. And so it becomes a barrier in between. And so Genesis 1, we see this and we see it happen, don't we? We see things change between Adam and Eve because of sin and then we see things change between Cain and Abel because of sin. Sin comes in and it distorts stuff. It messes stuff up. And it does it way more than we realise. Much deeper than you think. Now in the same way, in Genesis 11, just as we look in Genesis 1 to 3, you can see how sin separates and divides and distorts our relationship with God, but also our relationship with one another. In Genesis 11, you see the same thing, but this time it's around nations. It's not around individuals. Genesis 11 says this, the whole world had one language and a common speech. Now, that sounds really good. The whole world had one language and a common speech. People were moving to the east, and, and what they said was, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we'll be scattered over the face of the earth. The Lord comes down, he sees the tower that they want to build, and he actually says, gosh, if they manage to do this, nothing will be impossible for them. If they come together like this and they build this tower, nothing will be impossible for them. So he says, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from, from there over all the earth and they stopped building the city. That is why it was called Babel, because the Lord there confused the language of the world and from there the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. So although we might not understand the times and the dates of this, what we can understand about this passage is that the division between the nations and the languages of the world and the scattering over the earth was God's idea. It comes in judgment because of pride, but it was God's idea. It wasn't like it just happened and God got caught out by it and he said, oh my goodness, what's going on? The people of the earth, they're scattered. What do I do? No, this was God's idea. God scattered them. He scattered them actually out of judgment. He confused them out of judgment so they couldn't be the strength, the strong people that they were wanting to be. He confused their language. That led to misunderstanding. Misunderstanding led to breakdown. Breakdown leads to hostility. Hostility leads to separation. Let's be honest, it's a familiar story. This is not just what happened thousands of years ago or whenever that happened. This is our story, yeah? Languages, we don't always understand one another. When we don't understand one another, we find that there can be, oh, did he mean that? What did he mean by that? How did he, what does that mean? And so often when that happens to us, we don't always go up to people and say, do you know what, when you said that, I was completely confused. Can you try and explain it to me? This is what we do. I say something that you find confusing. Me and my people say something you find confusing. You go... I wonder why they do that. I wonder what they mean by that. Why do they always seem to say that? Why do they never turn up on time? Why don't they do this? Why don't they do that? We ask the questions of ourselves, and then we come up with answers. Oh, it must be because of this. It must be because of that. It must be because of the other. Yeah? We very rarely actually engage with people who are different to us to understand why they're different. Very rarely. 
we often just talk to ourselves about it and talk to one another about it. And what we see here in this separation that God brings about with people, and this judgment that God brings about with people, we see that that is also natural today. We lean towards people who are like ourselves. Why do we do that? Because that's what happens here. God separates people. Languages are confusing. People don't understand one another. Oh, we just, we're just going to lean in. That is the most natural thing for humans to do. You lean to people who are like yourself. Yeah, That's what you do. It's human. It's actually fallen human, but it's human to do it. And so we find that in Genesis 11, God does this. Yeah, He does this thing, but immediately in Genesis 12, it begins with a promise. So Genesis 11, God separates people because of sin, because of pride. His judgment comes. I'm going to scatter you across the earth. You're not going to be able to understand one another. But then in Genesis 12, he makes a promise. The, the scattering and confusion, immediately he points to the restoring and the blessing of the nations. God never abandoned the nation. He never did. And in Genesis 12, it says, The Lord said to Abraham, because God chooses a man then, at that point God chooses someone through whom he's going to bless the world, through whom he's going to show his grace, through whom he's going to show his kindness. God chooses someone. He chooses Abraham, and he says, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to a place I'll show you. We focus often on that bit, the going. Yeah? I'll make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I'm going to bless you, Abraham. I'll make your name great, and you will be a blessing. Abraham, you're going to be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. Whoever curses you, I will curse. And then what does it say? All peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So God makes a promise to Abraham that one day the whole of the earth will be blessed through you. Yes, I've just judged them. Yes, I've just scattered them. Yes, I've just confused them. But actually, in all of this, there is a point where they are going to be blessed, and it's through you. There's a universal nature to the promise God makes to Abraham. Now, just one other thing on Abraham. It's a kind of a side issue, but I think it's an important one. We often talk about grace. You might hear in your church, we sang about your grace is enough. You must understand, when it comes to Abraham, the calling of Abraham was sheer grace. The man was a moon worshipper. He was a pagan. He is not looking for God. He is not seeking God. He is worshipping whatever he sees out there, and out of nothing, God says to him, you come, I'm going to bless you. And you might be in this room today, you might not know very little of God, but God's calling you, and it's sheer grace. It's nothing to do with what you've done. It's nothing to do with who you are. It's nothing to do with, oh, yeah, I'm like this. Oh, yeah, maybe it's because I was reading my Bible this week. That God... No, it's nothing to do with that. It's sheer grace that you can come into his presence. Anyway, that's kind of a side thing, but I love that. I love the fact that Abraham was called by grace. Although it doesn't actually say that, the text doesn't say that, but that is what happens. Next we find... You'll know the story. God chooses Abraham through Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. You get the people of Israel. People of Israel end up in Egypt as slaves. And then when they come out of Egypt, it's really interesting because many foreigners came with them. And God tells them how to treat them. And he points to something bigger. Deuteronomy 10, it says, 
To the Lord your God belong the heavens, even the highest heavens, the earth and everything in it. Yet the Lord set his affection on your ancestors, and he loved them, and he chose you and their descendants above all the nations. For the God, your God, is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality and accepts no bribes. He defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow and loves the foreigner residing among you, giving them food and clothing. And you are to love those who are foreigners, for you yourself were foreigners in Egypt. Fear the Lord your God and serve him. Hold fast to him and take oaths in his name. This passage speaks again of the grace of God to the people of God. He chooses them. He, he puts his affection upon them, but he's also putting his love and affection upon the foreigner. When they come out of Egypt, they come out as one big people, but among them are many foreigners, many non-Israelites. And God tells them very specifically, this is how you're to treat them. You are to love them, just like I love them, because you yourself were once foreigners. That is often a principle of God. You love them because they're now foreigners and you were foreigners. The Bible tells us that we should comfort those with the comfort we ourselves have received. Yeah? You extend grace to people. Why? Because you've been the recipient of grace. So you love them because he loved you and he loves them. And it's really interesting because if we're really, really honest, if we get down to it, we don't always love the foreigner among us. We don't always do it. God has affection. I looked up affection. It says a gentle feeling of fondness or liking. Yeah? There will be people in this room that you have a gentle feeling of fondness or liking towards them. Oh, I love so-and-so. Yeah, my wife tells me all the time, not to me particularly, but she says, oh, I love so-and-so. Yeah, there's a gentle feeling of, of fondness and liking. And what God is saying is, hey, I have that towards the foreigner. Do you? Do you? Those who are on the outside, who come to the inside, that you don't feel, oh, right, yeah, I've got to say the right thing. What's the right thing? I've got to make sure I do the right thing, say the right thing, act in the right way. That's often how we think about it. God says, No. Do you love them? Do you have that devotional sense of, oh, I'm, I'm really for them. I'm really with them. I understand what it is to be a foreigner, so I don't want them to feel that here. That's how God says it. That's what God says to Israel right back there in Deuteronomy. You can then walk through the rest of the Old Testament. I've not got time to do it, but you can walk through the rest of the Old Testament and you will see this same thing. You will see the promise to Abraham. You will see that being outworked. You will see God bringing in the foreigner time and time again, using the foreigner, using the person on the outside, bringing them to the inside. You will see God showing love and devotion to people who we might otherwise not do. That's what he's always been like. It's not like he becomes like that in the New Testament. He kind of un un unveils himself. I'm really a God of grace. I was once a God of law. No, he's always a God of grace. From Genesis through to Revelation, God is a God of grace. And you must understand that, because it then helps us to understand this. But then we move into the New Testament. I could go into some of the Gospels where Jesus talks about the, his house being a house of prayer for all nations, but I'm not going to stick there. I'm going to go to Acts. Acts chapter 2. For us, Pentecost is a major part of our Christian understanding. 
In fact, this church would have been born partly out of the the coming of the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Holy Spirit and the charismatic. That's where this church would have come out of. It would have come out of those kinds of things. But sometimes we're in danger of of having a very narrow understanding of what that really means. We miss part of its power and meaning. We don't see it in the bigger picture. In Genesis 11, God scatters and confuses. In Acts 2, he gathers and he unites. God has a purpose which he is going to fulfill and he is bringing it about regardless of what we might think. Acts chapter 2, verse 5 and 6 says this, Now there was staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. That's important. They're Jews, but they're from every nation under heaven, and they're all in Jerusalem. Isn't it? Isn't that? I don't know whether it's coincidence or surprising. The moment Pentecost happened, they were gathered into Jerusalem, Jews from every nation under heaven. God is making a point here. God is showing us a much bigger purpose than the one we sometimes see. When they heard the crowd came together in they came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. So we have judgment in Genesis 11 where they no longer understand language. He scatters them to the four corners of the earth and here we have the gathering in of the nations and them being understood, they're understanding one another. God is about something. He's about something. The outpouring of the Spirit at Pentecost begins to bring bring about the fulfillment of his purpose. Gathering the nations in. A new experience is coming through the Holy Spirit. And Jesus said this would happen, the third person of the Trinity. But it doesn't even stop there. Even that, you think, okay, that's wonderful what God has done. But then you move on and you get into the epistles, the the letters that Paul and others wrote to churches. And Paul writes to the church in Ephesus. And just like we read about foreigners came out with the people of God in Egypt, here we find in Ephesians chapter 2, the foreigner, the Gentile, the you and the me, are drawn into the people of God. So the very same thing that you read about in Exodus and, 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 and the story of redemption, the story of the Exodus, where they come out, and their little side note is there are foreigners among them. In, in Ephesians, it comes into its full bloom. Yeah, It comes into full bloom. It says this, Therefore remember that formerly you who were Gentiles by birth, called uncircumcised by those who called themselves a circumcision, Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ. You were on the outside. You were excluded. You were foreigners to the covenants. You were without hope and without God. But now, in Christ, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood. There is something quite amazing about what God has done. Something quite amazing about what God has done has done. And he's not just done it. It's not like, oh, God's just done it. He has made this, this thing of people coming together from different tribes and nations. He has made it the heart of the gospel. He's made it the heart of the gospel. This passage goes on. 
For he, that is God, himself is at Jesus, is our peace, who's made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his law his commands and regulations. Why did he do that? His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. It's really interesting that at the very moment that Jesus comes, at the very moment when Jesus dies on the cross, at the very moment when the barrier is destroyed and broken in two, what does he do? He brings to us something that's very surprising. He brings to people who are very, very different peace. Peace. We do not want to overfocus on the gospel being about peace between me and God. That is very, very true. But the gospel also brings peace between me and my brother. It must do that. If it doesn't do that, if I don't believe it does that, then I have disempowered the cross. I've disempowered it. Because this passage tells us that there should be a moment where people who were once hostile to one another come into relationship and have peace. And peace is one of the best signs that God is present. And we're not talking about Peace as in, uh, you, know, you know, peace. That's not the kind of peace we're talking about. The kind of peace we talk about with God is the restoring of things to way, the way they're meant to be. That's what God does. He brings and he restores the way things are meant to be. The passage goes on in verse 19, and, and I know uh, Chris often talks about this. You know, when I listen to his sermon, and even when I'm listening to him today, he talks about this kind of thing. What it talks about is you are no longer foreigners and strangers. So once before, when we read about that passage in Deuteronomy, where we talk about the foreigner among you, love the foreigner, now the foreigner isn't a foreigner. Yeah, They're no longer foreigners among you. It says you're no longer foreigners and strangers, but you're fellow citizens with God's people, you're members of his household, built on the foundations of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus at the cornerstone, And then it says this, and in him you are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives. There is something quite unique about the church as the place where God lives. God dwells. Yeah, Chris talks about it. God God dwells here. Yeah, it's not like, oh yeah, let's try and be family, let's try and do that family thing. No, God dwells among his people. Yeah? He's the one that has been able to bring you together. He is the one that brings the peace, if you allow him. He's the one that brings the peace. He's the one that breaks down the barriers. He's the one that removes the hostility. He's the one that allows you to go beyond the misunderstanding. He's the one that allows you to extend grace to your neighbor. What is grace? Fundamentally, it's about acceptance. Yeah? Do you accept? Yeah? One of the biggest lessons that my wife and I have learned in marriage is acceptance. Fundamentally, do I accept Pauline? I, I, there might be things I want to change. Yeah, I, I get that. Yeah, but I mean, are you sure you want to say that? There are things that are not right here. No, fundamentally, acceptance. You're saved by grace. You're not saved because you did stuff. You're saved because he's gracious and he's kind. 
And so God is building you into a house. He's building you into a place where he can dwell by his spirit. And the thing he's building, is a, it's a family of people who were once foreigners and strangers and aliens, people who were black and white, people who were from this background, this class or that class, people with money, people without money. Those are not the factors. Yeah? Those are not the moments for celebration. The celebration is the fact that Jesus came and he made it possible. Yeah? John Piper talks about this issue of, of racial reconciliation and ethnic and all of that kind of stuff. He says it's a blood of Jesus issue. Yeah? That, that's where it's won. It's won at the cross. It's not won in research. It's not just won in conversation. It's won at the cross, which means it's been won. It's been won. All we have to do is live in the good of what he has done. And if we do that, we become such an example to the world, don't we? Because we live in a world right now where divisions are high. Yeah? Whatever your political persuasion, divisions are high, both in our nation and across the world. Misunderstanding is common, not just with you and your neighbour, but with nations, with cultures, there is a misunderstanding. There is division, there is hostility, and what we're saying is God has done something very, very unique and very, very different. And it's in local churches like this that this is expressed. Yeah? So if you do this right, diversity in your church is part of the mission. It becomes something that people look at and go, how did you do that? How did those people come together and we don't see the factions? We're not seeing the divisions. We're not seeing this group hive off here. We're not seeing this group off hive off here. We're not seeing this group meeting secretly where no one else knows that they're meeting. We're not seeing that. How did you do that? The only way you can make it like that is to keep the cross central to your diversity. Yeah? It's Christ-centered. Yeah? It's not based on your differences. Yeah? You celebrate your differences if you want, but that's not it. It's based on the cross. Yeah? And when you realise that, you realise, oh my goodness, Jesus is more powerful than I realised. Because so many of us think that this issue is so, uh, is so deep, it's so controversial that we think one day we'll all be in heaven and it will be wonderful. Yeah? And that is true. One day you'll be in heaven and it will be wonderful. But actually, in Ephesians, God says, I've made a way for this here and now. I've made a way for it. I've made a way for it. So then we move to Revelation, final passage. The final expression, as I just said, of this is in heaven, that there will, a day is coming where the magnificence of his glory, the magnificence of what he has done, that his wisdom that he talks about, the manifold wisdom of God, is going to be displayed to the principalities and powers across the heavenly realms. That day is coming. They never expected that day. They never expected a day when God would have drawn in to his own people, people from every tribe and tongue and nation and language. They never expected that that would be what he would do. In the same way, they never expected Jesus to rise from the dead. They never expected it. But that is what happens. And what happens when they come together? They're not celebrating their differences. They're not up there celebrating their different foods. I'm not saying don't do that, but they're not up there doing that. What are they doing? They are, they are worshipping the lamb upon the throne. Hallelujah. 
Why? Because it's Jesus that's done it. It's not you. It's not me. It's not jell rice. I love jell rice, but it's not jell rice. Jell-off rice does not do it. I, I love jell rice. I, I do. I genuinely. Yeah. But it's not jell rice. I know. Sorry. It's not quiche. Do you know what I mean? It's not quiche. I tell you what's closer to it, though. Rice, MPs, and jerk chicken. Yo. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So this is what it says in Revelation when it's describing this picture that begins in Genesis. It begins before the beginning when God has his plan for the world to gather the world. It says this in Revelation 7 verse 9. After this, this is John in his vision, I looked and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language. Every difference you can fundamentally imagine. Standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and they're holding palm branches and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. It is all about him. You must understand that. And you must also understand this comes, and my prayer is God will reveal this to you. Yeah? That you won't walk away thinking, oh yeah, what did he say? I can't remember. He said something. No. Do you know, it comes by revelation. In the same way that salvation is by revelation. Recognising who Jesus is. In the same way that grace comes by revelation. These things don't come because you learn them. Yeah? You can read a book on grace and be the most legalistic person in the world. Yeah? My prayer is that God will reveal. And wouldn't it be amazing if he revealed to a church right here, half a mile from the Thames, right in the centre of London, if he revealed his plan for diversity? Wouldn't that be quite amazing? If people began to realise, oh my goodness, look what he's done. Look what he's done. I'm hoping we're going to be able to sing a song, Chris. I'm going to pray while the band come up. Not because they're coming up, but because, (laughs) you know, just to fill the time. But really, I want to see all this. Why don't we stand together? Why don't you close your eyes and all of us, why don't we just hold out our hands? Because this is a moment I'm, I'm trusting and believing that God is going to reveal and put something in the hearts of many of you about his great plan. His great plan for the nations that began at the beginning and it goes right through to the end and it goes right through the cross. Nothing could be more gospel. Nothing could be more central. Father, I, I want to thank you for uh, just, just this opportunity to gather this morning. I thank you for the sense of life uh, that you have brought to this church. 
Lord, I thank you for just the years that there would have been where there's struggle and battle, but God, you have done something quite special here. And Lord, I believe that having done that, they're ready to receive such a message, to embrace it to their hearts, to see it outwork in their community. Lord, where people from every background might be drawn in, not because we're overly friendly, but because that's what the cross does. It draws people. It draws people. It brings them from the outside to the inside. It covers them. It covers their shame. It covers their pain. It covers their hurt. And it draws them into relationship. It draws them into a community where you have chosen to dwell. And so I pray, Father, for this church. I pray for these lovely people. I pray your blessing upon them. I pray your hand upon them. I pray your presence with them. I pray do something so deep in their hearts and in their lives. Lord, where there's healing needed, would you heal? Lord, where revelation brings us to a place where, oh my goodness, I need to repent, I need to change. Would you do that, God? Would you do that? But I pray first, Father, bring a revelation of your wonderful, wonderful gospel. The gospel that changes lives, that gathers people in from all across the nations of the world. We see it in Revelation. We see it at the end. But God, we can see it here and now. We are to see it here and now. That's what it's about. And so, Lord, I pray for this place. I thank you for that. In Jesus' name. Amen.